Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. If you have your inserts, you can grab those out. If you have your phone, you can go to Uversion and go to events and hit Church on the Rock. And that way you can follow along. The neat thing with doing it on your phone is you can actually take some notes if you like taking notes. And it's always with you. You never have to be without them. And so we want to make that available to you. Today we're celebrating the greatest coronation of all the ages. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 21... In verse 1 through 6, if you have your Bibles or you want to read with me in that, it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Mountain of Olives is where Jesus actually ascended uh, up to heaven. Jesus sent two of them, look at this, Jesus sent two of them ahead, two of his disciples. And here's what he said, go into a village over there. And he said, as soon as you enter it, think about this. You'll see a donkey tied there and with its colt beside it. And then he said, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, hey, what are you doing? That's my donkey. That's my colt. What are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them. And immediately he will let you take them. Pretty amazing. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, everybody say your king. Say that again, your king. Your king is coming to you. Jesus is our king coming to us. It says he is humble and he's riding on a donkey. He's riding on the donkey's colt. The the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that in this kingdom, in this church, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you that you establish your presence and that you establish your word. And where your word is, where the word of a king is, the Bible says there is power. So, Father, I pray you take these next few moments and you take these next few minutes. And Lord, I pray that something will happen in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. God's hands of time reached their mark as God's plan for all the ages began to start. God sent forth His Son. The Bible says when the fullness of time. I want you to realize that it was the exact time, an exact moment in history. It says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that He would redeem mankind, and that's us, that He would come and redeem us. A 400-year prophecy we see here, where where we're reading about the Palm Sunday. That was a prophecy spoken about 400 years ago, and this week we're seeing it unfold. And as we know that as that prophecy unfolded, it changed the world in which we know today. How many know that Jesus literally changed our world? Amen? Even our A.D. and B.C., Jesus changed the hands of times. All living substance. What amazes me when I read this scripture is that all living substance, all matter, all 
all people, all animals, all trees, every living thing began to cooperate with the Creator's plan. How many know that Jesus had a plan? Amen? And everybody was creating with that. It's kind of like slow motion. Uh, I, I remember in Gladiator and some of those movies when things are happening, it goes in slow motion and you see things happening. It's like slow motion. Go into the town that nobody knew this. How Jesus know this? Because He's Jesus. He's God. Go into a town. And immediately when you get on your town, look to your right. There's going to be a donkey tied up there with a colt. Just simply walk over to that colt and the man standing there watching you, seeing what you're doing, and you grab the reins. And you begin to pull that donkey and the man says, Wait! What are you doing? And then they say, The Lord says we need him. And he says, okay, just take him. You're like, what? How many of you, if you were standing somewhere and somebody came up and said, uh, it starts getting in your car and begins to turn the key on and says, the Lord told me to take your car. Actually, I tried that on Chad last week when he was driving his truck away. I said, I think God wants me to have your truck. Didn't go very far. Chad, is God speaking to you yet, my brother? (laughs) Come on, amen. Jesus is Lord. That great coronation, he arrived in Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey is highly symbolic. Because back in that day when they came in on a horse, it means that they were getting ready to go to war. They were getting ready to, to, to do some damage to their enemy. But when they came in on a donkey, when they came in on a donkey... It symbolized peace. Brothers and sisters, the Prince of Peace came to make peace with God for His people. Can somebody praise Him today? The Bible says that, that therefore being justified by faith, we are now at peace with God because our Prince of Peace arrived. The King at last has come to His own. This week, the week of Passover is upon us. It's that coronation week. And the Bible talks about though a crown was put upon His head, and though the cross became His throne, this was a time that Jesus was going to have a victorious week, a triumph. Though it ended with pain and death, guys, it was a conqueror's pain. It was like a hero's death. As a commander, our commander, as he gave his life and he led his troops into battle and by his daring courage, he he saved the day for all the countrymen and he wins the undying fame as a hero. So did our captain. So did Jesus Christ come for us and do something for this country and for our life and he is our hero today. Amen? So it's a great coronation. You know, coronations were... Very popular back in that day. Do you, and I don't think we, I, I guess, uh, I guess when, uh, who won the Super Bowl last year? Was it Patriots? All I know is Philadelphia cheated us. Chicago was supposed to be there. How many feel that Chicago was supposed to be there? They'll be here this year, all right. But uh, maybe when they go back to the city, that might seem a little bit like a coronation. But back there, imagine Greece when Alexander returned. Confetti flying, carrying from the east uh, all the spoils of war, flags waving, celebration happening, people shouting. Imagine Rome when the great Caesar came back from the north as he fought. 
He was clothed with garments of war and came back as a victor, carrying a victor's crown. And captive kings and and people that were on the other team as their sandals and their gold sandals stir up the dust and they walk into the city captive with, with, with all the spears and the helmets and the chariots and the horses captive, silver and gold and everything as they march through the, through the streets with a defeated foe. That's kind of what a coronation was. What a contrast that Jesus' coronation was. What a contrast in this capital city, Jerusalem, that Jesus rode. Here's the difference. Willing captives pressed in close to see. Glad feet came in step as they ran with the person that they had heard teach and that they had seen someone's life change. Glad, glad feet were running around him with the adulterers forgiven. Demon-possessed people set free. People that were healed. Sinners that came. All the lame and the sick and the diseased, they pressed in. And there was a coronation of the ages all along this highway from Bethel all the way. Think about that. From Bethel. All the way to Jerusalem, they crowded in the streets with shouts of praise, saying, Hosanna, the Son of David, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you lift your hands today and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen? So this great coronation, here's what the Lord was putting on my heart this week. This great coronation of Lordship of Christ of all the ages, it began with the disciples. Look at Matthew 21, 20, 21, verse 7. It says, they brought, everybody say the disciples. They brought the donkey to him. And they threw their what? They threw their garments. Uh, Bob, it's like, if you were there, it's your jacket. They just take the jacket off and they just throw it down so he could walk on it. They threw their garment upon the coat and Jesus sat on it. What's interesting, this coronation to me started with the disciples to where they put their coat on Jesus' donkey. And they were like the first ones to partake of this newfound faith in Jesus. And then along this pathway, we saw what I just described. The poor in spirit were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Bible says in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And the others cut branches on the tree and they spread them on the road. You know, um, a lot of the people back then didn't have money to stay at the Renata. Or the, um, tell me another one, the Hilton. They didn't have the money at Passover to go stay at a fancy hotel or have something to eat. So the poor would actually cut sticks and they would cut branches and they would make lodging inside of this city and that would be a lodging place so so the poor the people that were really poor were the ones that were on this street and they might have taken uh, some palms off of their lodging or they took off their coat but whatever they had they were people that had been touched by Jesus and whatever they had they laid it down so the king could walk on that and you know there's something about this laying down laying down their palm branches. It signified the laying down of our sin. It signified the laying down of shame and guilt and fear and condemnation. 
even when, when the singing was going on today, I kept hearing the scripture where Paul said, not that I have obtained, not that I have made it, not that I am perfect. Do any of you ever feel like that? How many of you feel like you had kind of a lousy week this week? Not that I obtained, not that I did very well this week. Not, not, it really wasn't a good week, but, but, but Paul said this one thing that I've had to learn how to do is I have to put away those things that are behind me and I have to press on to what's before me. When you are a lover of God and you are a lover and you are a person that's thankful for His grace, you aren't a, you aren't a person that can just go on sinning and go on doing things that you know uh, hurts the heart of God because something's changed where you don't serve God by law but you serve him by heart. And so it bothers you when you feel like you've shamed the Lord or let him down. And that changes everything. If you try to work and keep the law, you're never going to be able to do it. It's performance. But when your heart changes, I, God has been, God tells me, he's like, when I mess up or when I fail, I'm like, oh, doggone it. And, and, and it bothers me, and my, I start accusing myself, and, and oh, I get so upset with myself. It's not even like me taking advantage of grace. It's not like me with, hey, I'll just do whatever I want. God will forgive me. I have that heart zero. Zero. And you shouldn't have that heart. You shouldn't be like, oh, because of grace, sin just means I can just sin all I want. No, you'll want to quit sinning. Because you think about the price that Jesus paid so that you would, could be free. And you think about that. You know, it, it's to a point in my life that I hear God saying, Brian, would you come to me with it? K quicker, quicker. But God, get over here. I, I, it's, I hear the Spirit calling me. I, I mean, you would think God was ticked with you to where he's like, get away from me. You always disappoint me. You always do it wrong. Just think about it a while and wallow in it in a while and then come see me. That is not God. That's what I do to myself. But I feel God saying, get over here. Get over here. Come here. Come here. And then I reluctantly fall in his arms. That's the way we should be with sin. Grace isn't so you can just go live like the devil. It isn't. Grace, Titus 2, 11 and 12 says that grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and passions of the flesh. But I'll tell you what, love is stronger than law and legalism. It's a stronger force when you serve the Lord because you love Him. When you love Him. How, how many want a wife that says, well, honey... I'm in this marriage because I'm committed to this marriage. Well, that's cold. I'm committed to you. Don't feel a lick of love for you, but I'm committed to you. Man, I, I, want, I want to be in a marriage that is it's past the contract. There's a covenant of love. And love is so powerful. Love is so powerful. But as they, as they did this, the Lordship of Christ, look at, look, look at the Hebrews, look at the Matthew 21, 9. This is what I'm trying to say in Matthew 29, 
21.9. This is what, what all that that I just said was for. Jesus was the center of the procession. Is Jesus the center of your life? Is Jesus, are you practicing God first living? Are you practicing God first living personally? Are you practicing God first living in your marriage? Are you practicing God first living in your church life, in your serving life, in your business life? God is calling us, the us that are us that are joining this great coronation, this great festivity. We lay down our sin, we lay down our shame, we lay down our guilt, we lay down our fear, we lay down our condemnation. We, 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 we thank Him that He's healed us, that He set us free. And we say, Hosanna, you saved me. But yet we also say, Jesus, be the center. Jesus, be the center. God is calling us to make Christ the center. I, it never fails me when people get things going wrong in their life, the very first thing they do is they quit coming to church. They isolate. In marriages, it just stands to reason. I think we make things too complicated. If you think of a triangle and put Jesus at the top and you on one side and your spouse on others, if both of you are surrendering and living a God-first life and you are dwelling in God and seeking God and walking towards God, I think sometimes we need to quit looking at all of our marital problems and looking at all of our life problems and get our eyes on Jesus and get closer to Him. And as we get closer to Him, we're going to get closer to each other. We're going to get closer to that mark. I'm a farm boy. I'm a farm boy. And Dad used to always have me plant all the beans because I could plant a straight row. I may have been in junior high, I may have been 14 and didn't have a driver's license, but my dad would pick me over my brothers that had driver's license to plant the beans. Because I learned, I learned that when I planted the beans, I would look clear to the end of the field, and I would pick out a mark. And on my old Alice Chalmers chapter, there was a, there was a V right on the front. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Ken? There was a V right on the top, top with chrome. And buddy, Ken, I would stick that thing right on that mark, and I'd want to look back and see if my row was straight, and, and I'd be tempted to look back. I'd be tempted to look back. I'd, I'd be tempted to look to the side and see if I'm parallel. But I kept my eyes straight ahead, and that's what Carmen was talking about today. And when I got to the end, I noticed that my row was straight as an arrow because my eyes were on the cross. The Bible says that when we keep our eyes on Him, He will make our crooked path straight. Come on, give Him praise at the 10 o'clock. He will make our crooked way straight. I think we spend too much time trying to straighten out our crooked way. We need to be more Christ conscious than sin conscious. We need to be more forgiveness conscious than sin conscious. We need to be more love conscious. Are y'all with me today? They were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus was the center. The coronation continues. Just a few short centuries passed since Palm Sunday. Rome was declared, for all you history buffs, I love this part. 
Rome was declared a Christian empire with Constantine. Greece became a source of Christian culture. Egypt was the foundation for Christian learning. Augustine from Africa laid the foundation for Christian theology. And the multitudes, I want you to see this, and the multitudes who were before them, how many know there's multitudes that have joined this coronation before us? Everybody say before us multitudes join. I'm asking you, you're going to join the procession? Because we're the ones that's following. Are y'all with me? That's the key to this sermon. We're the ones that are following. And the ones that follow was this Augusta. He went to Africa and made Christian theology. A thousand more years passed. And men and women, boys and kings, uh, loved the King and Kings and Savior of the Lord. It went to the Franks and moved northward to the Celts and the Saxons and the Russians and the Scandinavians. This gospel message, this road continued. And people were bowing their knees. And people continued to throw their prom branches down. And to throw their sin and their shame and their condemnation and their guilt and feel that 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 road continues that road continues again another century passed as pagan nations began to come to the king the pagan nations started come the 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 dark continents began to come men and women from every walk of life color and creed bearing witness to a never-ending power of christ was in them the scholar brought tribute of his learning and laid it at the master's feet The church led education through the weary years of the dark ages. Think about that. The church kept it alive through those years of the dark ages. Artists begin with a brush to paint sacred stories on canvas. Men with pens begin to write countless books. Think about when they begin to put it on paper. When when the paper began to come, then it began to be printed. Countless books were penned. With chisels, sculptors began to sculpt. With, with, with trowels, beautiful churches and cathedrals and buildings have been built. You know one of the most powerful things that you guys have accomplished? Is we are able to say, and to God be the glory, but we, God put up a church in a cornfield. And there's another light in this city because you guys paved the way. You took up a trowel. This church was built with volunteers. Everything that you see was not hired. It was built with volunteers, sweat and labor and and sacrifice. But you guys made beautiful church. And we continued the way. Aspiring hearts of worship and song from the lips of hearts of the hands of musicians and singers. Think about all the music that's been written. But all of it says, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The the coronation continued with some people that you might be familiar with. How many has heard of William Carey? William Carey, a shoemaker. He left sewing souls in England and began to save souls in India. Judson, how many went to Judson College? Judson, the American student, left the jungle of Judson College Halls. And he went to the jungle of Burma and began to win people. Morrison went and awoke the sleeping nation of China that we know the dragons of China. Patton won the cannibals. Patton won the cannibals in the islands in the Pacific Livingston faced disease and death in Africa. 
John G. Lake was reported seeing over 500,000 healings as people that were healed laid their palm branches and laid their feet, laid their jackets at the feet, and the coronation continued. The Wesleys, the Finneys, the Whitfields, the Smigglesworth, Wigglesworth, Smigglesworth, the Luthers. They've all ran their leg of the race. And what I want to ask you today, are you going to take the last baton and are we going to continue this race? Are we going to continue this race? The Holy Spirit has been speaking to my heart. Through the ages, these are times where there was just a move of the Spirit. You couldn't figure out why and why it was this time. And back in the 70s, some of you, how many of you were Christians in the 70s? I wasn't. I wasn't born until 68. There was a movement in the 70s to where denominational churches, I remember I grew up a Methodist, and my dad and mom got on fire for the Lord. And I remember I used to come home drunk on the weekends, and I would see in about three different people and everything was loud, and there'd be about 30 people in our living room praying. And I was like, what's up with that? Feeling moved right now. I, I look back at Jim and Faith. We went to Cooper Hawk with them guys the other night and had an amazing steak and, and an amazing time. But we went back to their house and we prayed. And they began to share the movement that they've seen. And Jim, I believe, gave a prophetic word that he said, I feel another move is coming. How many feel that there's another movement coming? For this next movement to come, I think we need to clean house. And I'll tell you, for this other movement to come, it's going to take more than hitting church about once a month and not cracking your Bible ever through the week and breathing. I'm not being condemning. Just don't tell me you want it if you're not willing to pay the price. But if I, it took 12 to turn everything upside down. Will you be the next one? How many would join Carmen and I in prayer? How many would join our staff as we hunger for an outpouring of the Spirit? And we get more of a hunger for the outpouring of the Spirit. We get such a hunger of the outpouring of the Spirit that we forget if we don't like the song that's being sung. And we, if there's criticalness and if there's uh, judging the leadership on everything we do, pfft, you're, you're stopping up the move of God. But there's a move of God. It starts with people that are hungry. It starts with people that are surrendered. It starts with people that love first. It starts with some people that are not fleshly. To where, like 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, says, In meekness instruct people that oppose themselves. Peradventure God will give them a repentance upon acknowledgement of truth. For at this point, the devil comes in and out of his life whenever he wants to. Some of you, the devil's just in and out of your life. Whenever he wants to. It's going to stop, start with some surrender. It's going to start with some 
not living to your flesh. I am trying so hard to kick the stuffings out of my flesh. I, I, the, Lord, I, I be, the Lord's like, I want you walking in the Spirit 24-7. I'm like, how do you do that? I'm, I'm down to set my alarm every hour and say, think about God. Dink, dink, dink. Maybe I need to set it every 10 minutes. But I want to keep, I, I, I know that it's music, turning music on. I, I know that it's carrying cards in your pocket. And you pull it out and you look at scriptures that you're trying to memorize. I know that the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it says, singing to yourself with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God. Why is a drunk man drunk? Why is a drunk man drunk? Why is, it, why is a drunk man drunk? He drinks too much. God used that on being filled with the Spirit. Let's tip the cup and drink a little. Let's drink till we're drunk. Do it with psalms. Do it with hymns. Do it with spiritual songs. Do it with scripture reading. Do it with cards in your pocket. If you have to set your alarm, set your alarm. But God is calling us to that kind. Will the coronation continue? Will it continue with you? But here's the challenge this week as the musicians are coming. Jesus needs your help. Jesus needs your help. I want to tell a story. How many are familiar with Mark chapter 5, the, the man from Gadarene? Anybody familiar with that scripture? This was a guy that was demon-possessed. Okay? It's in the Bible. You can read it. It's in Mark chapter 5. He was demon-possessed. They tried to tie him up. They tried to, to uh, subdue him. And they tried to control him. They, they tried therapy. They tried medicines. They, they, they tried counseling. They, they tried every form of whatever they had in that day to help this man. And he couldn't be helped. He would run naked to the tombs. And he would grab, he would dig the tombs. And he would grab bones out. And he would begin to cut himself. There may be somebody in this church today that you cut yourself with a knife. And the reason you do that is because you hate yourself so much that you feel like you deserve pain. But Jesus took your pain and you don't have to cut yourself anymore. Are you with me today? You, you, you don't have to do these things. Uh, but, but this man, he would howl at night. He would groan. He would moan. And he lived in the graves. And if people walked by, he'd chase them down and beat them up. Jesus pulled his ship up to the shore. And the gathering came running. Running at Jesus. And when Jesus stood up, the Bible says the gathering fell at his feet. Listen. And worshipped him. Worshipped him. You know what that tells me? There ain't one person in this whole church that is worse than that gathering. Nobody. None of you have done as bad as the gathering. And the gathering fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus accepted him. Jesus loved him. Alright? He put him in a sound mind. He, he, he clothed him. And we pick up the scripture that a crowd gathered around Jesus. And they saw this man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. And for you people that, if you get into setting people free... Don't get off on this, you got to name it. If it's, It gets back and works. 
Just say evil spirit, go. I mean, all this stuff, all these formulas just are ridiculous. He was sitting here, there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Look at that. They were all afraid of that. Have you ever been in a move of the Spirit where you were a little bit afraid? I'm going to be honest with you. If I came to church on the rock when I was 18, yuns would have freaked me out today. I'd never seen lifting of hands or anything like that. And it's a little different. And here's what I said. I don't understand everything that I see with my eyes, and I don't understand it in my head, but there was something alive. And I hope you felt something alive, and I hope you felt something moving and the peace maybe that you have. Because we hope and believe that God's presence is here. But, but they began to plead, and they began to say, Jesus, verse 17 says, go away from us. Leave us alone. And Jesus was getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed begged him, can I go with you, Jesus? Jesus said, no, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. I want you to see that. You can't go with me, but here's what I need you to do. Everybody look at me. Jesus needs you to do something. Jesus needs you to do something. And he needs you to do something not next week, this week. Because Easter and Christmas are two times that people will say, everybody say yes. They will say yes for you to come to church. I'm planning on bringing all my neighbors to church next week. They will say yes. Jesus needs you. And here's, what, here's all he needs you to do. Go tell them of the wonderful things that God has done for you. Can anybody, is there any person here that Jesus has done something wonderful? Is there anybody here? Jesus has done something wonderful. Can you just, you, do you know, stand, I've told you this before. Standing in front of me, freaks, in front of people, freaks me out. When I was in college, I couldn't even go to the cafeteria and eat because I couldn't eat alone. I stayed in my room and just didn't eat. People freaked me out. Crowds freaked me out. So every time I get up, I, one time I said this to the Lord. I said, God, you're telling me to preach, and you're telling me to be a minister. So if I'm going to be a fool, I'll do it for you. If I'm going to make a fool of myself, I'll do it for Jesus. Swallow your pride and tell your story. Quit being afraid of Jesus and quit not telling people you're a Christian and tell them you're a Christian. The guy that I run by, we, I run an hour every day. The guy that I run by, F this, F and that, F this, F that, A this, D that, S that. Guess what I asked him to do yesterday? Will you go to church with me? He's going to come. He will come. He's going to come. Jesus needs you. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. If Jesus freaked them out and they were like, get away from us. Get away from us. But this man went and he did what Jesus said. He told his family. He told, the Bible says that he went and told ten cities. Now listen to this. That 
town that said, Jesus, get in your boat and get out of here. Go away. Get away from us. Jesus went and healed some people, fed 5,000 people for a couple days, took his boat back to that same place. I don't know how far later. I know it's one chapter in the Bible. And if you look on your screen, when he pulled up, the same ones that were saying, get out of here, were running to him. They were running to him. They were bringing the sick. They were bringing the lame. They were bringing the disease. They were bringing those that needed salvation. Ten cities of people. Jesus spent days there ministering. Why? Why? Because the demon-possessed man went and told his story to ten cities. If you'll partner with God today, I already know what I'm preaching next week. People will be saved. We need you to serve one service, and we need you to go to one service. To me, Jesus died on the cross. That's the least we can do. It help out a little. Sometimes people say, I'm too tired to get up and pray. And I'm like, Jesus died in the grave, and you can't get up and pray? Come on. Let's, we can put forth something to this. But guys, right now, again, I did this last week. I want you to get people on your mind to invite. I want you to think about, I, I'm G, let's pretend I'm Jesus and you're the demon-possessed man. Here's what I'm telling to you. You can't go walk with me this week, but I want you to go tell your family what I did. I want you to tell your friends. I want you to tell people at work. I want you to tell the clerk where you get your gas. I, 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 want you from, I want you in this week, I want you to go wherever you're at, 10 places that you're at, tell them your story. Invite them to church. And then if you would, I want you to write these things down. Because I, I felt this. On winning our world, first thing, I want you to identify who you're going to ask. And then number two, I want you, pens are in front of you. I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And I want you to pray that over the people that you invite. And then I want you to write down 1 Peter 1, 2. If you guys got a way of putting that on the screen, do it. Just write the scripture. You don't even have to put the scripture up. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 and 1 Peter 1, 2. And then invite. The third thing I want you to do is invite, share your story. And then here's the next thing. Don't just say, I'll see you in church. Say, can I meet you and bring you to church? And guys, here's the next thing. Don't just invite them. Say, can I meet you? Or where can we meet? Can I bring you to church? Or, if you're, or say, can I meet you at church? Now listen. People, people like meeting leadership or the pastor or whatever. Next week, I'm going to be out front. Early. Because when you guys bring friends, Olitchka, every time you guys bring friends, you say, oh, I want you to meet Pastor Brian. Okay, I'm going to make myself, we're going to make ourselves available next week. I want to meet your friends. I want them to see, hey, that guy's a knucklehead just like me. Okay? And then I'm going to make myself available after church. I want to meet your friends. And then the next thing 
that I want you to do. So I want you to invite them, tell them you'll meet them here. And then I want, that's called bring them to the guest reception, either before church or after church. Shelly, all coffees, everything, it's free next week. Everybody get a free, give them a free cup. Give it, give stuff away free. Okay. And then after next week, I simply just want you to follow back up with them. How many say you follow up with the person that you bring? next week okay and then here's the last one guys we hit that fire night on purpose because some people still going to be a little leery of the church thing and they may say they 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 come in the very next week to church some here's a pattern we see sometimes a lot of times people that come on easter a lot of times that was a big step for them because they only go to church maybe once a year to ask them to come back the very next week sometimes they do sometimes they don't But here's what they will do. Invite them to the wiener roast. Anybody with me? Invite them to the wiener roast. That's why we did what Justin said. We're going to have our first party out there. Everybody write this down. May 17th. Amen. I want to close with this scripture. Braden, after I close with this scripture, we're going to stand and sing. Okay. Revelation, the coronation continues until it reaches the final destination. You might say today, Pastor, what is the final destination? Put the scripture on the board. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, Revelation, you know that's the last book. After this, I saw a vast crowd. Everybody say vast crowd. It was a big crowd. Look at this. Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language. They were all standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes. And they held, get your palm branches out. They held palm branches. Oh, would you stand to your feet today and wave your palm branches. They held palm branches. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation has come. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.